Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We are located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building, right across the street from Winkies. And we're also now to uh, service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. My guest today is Bill Line, and Bill has been a guest. Oh, Bill, I'm looking here many times on Money Sense. And and uh, also very effectively work with our clients and helping to look at estate planning issues. And I always like to start the year out by just kind of starting with the basics and really looking at all of the different um, in the different types of um, estate planning documents that really um, all people need. I mean, I remember years and years ago, someone said to me, um, do you have an estate plan? And I said, no. And they said, well, you do. I mean, if you don't have your own, the government's got one for you. So in reality, everybody has either one that they've put in place or they've got one that's in place for them. And Bill, you're um, an attorney and you practice um, your two locations. You've yeah, got, got Mequon um, and... Yeah, we've got Mequon, um, well, Thienesville, actually. Glendale and Brookfield. And you're in Colorado. And, well, yeah, I do a little practice out in Colorado <laughs> a couple of days a month. To go skiing? Um, no. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, before the break, you and I were talking about um, some of the real basic documents, and I think we'll just start with just the whole definition of what a will is. And um, a, a lot of people... Um, think of estate planning as just a will, and we're going to change that today, but just defining what a will is is really important. Yeah, well, you know, a will is pretty straightforward. It's a document that you you create during your lifetime to direct who receives your property at the time of your death and who you want to handle that person called a personal representative. And then um, one of the things that I know that we always look at when it comes to um, making a decision on a will is if somebody wants to go through probate. So there are some things that are attached to a will that we have other documents that are not. And one of the things that I always look at when I'm helping a client determine which direction they want to go is if they really do have someone that they totally trust. Because one of the benefits to having a will is that it has court supervision. Yeah, that's correct. You know, a, a court will supervise the administration of an estate, whether a person has a will or not. Technically, everyone has a will because the Wisconsin statutes spell out who gets your property in the event you've left no direction about it. So again, everyone does have a will, <laughs> yes. whether you like the result of it or not. So we vary from the statutes by creating a will. And then really more comprehensive estate planning is what what I focus my practice in. So a will is a little bit of a foundational document, but we go way beyond that and usually focus on uh, post-death planning with revocable living trusts, uh, directing who can make decisions for you during life if you're incapacitated with powers of attorney, 
and some other related documents. You know, Bill, I'd have to say it's probably 14 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago, that I was at the MNI Bank as a vice president of their personal trust department. And up until that time, I really didn't understand what a revocable living trust was. And when I was at the bank, the only people that really had them were people who really had a lot, a lot of money and were doing some very, very fancy planning. And I remember leaving there and when I start at my own company and saying everybody really will benefit by having estate planning. And I always thought that was something that really set me apart in the industry because as stockbrokers, we really didn't we didn't learn about estate planning and we really had very little knowledge on even tax planning. And when I was at the MNI Bank, it really opened my eyes to the benefits of looking at taxes and looking at estate planning and revocable living trust. And I remember when I started talking to clients about the importance, they'd say, well, that's only for the Kennedys <laughs> or that's only for, you know, very large estates. But it's really um, the whole concept of estate planning is really important for everyone. And one of the things that you and I utilize a lot is that revocable living trust that you started to talk about. Yeah, that that's correct. You know, a revocable living trust is not just for wealthy people. I think there is that misconception with the public. And trusts did start out with very wealthy families decades and decades ago for uh, protecting family wealth from multiple layers of taxation. But nowadays, a revocable living trust is the cornerstone document in most people's comprehensive estate plans. If you don't have great wealth, I think I can make the argument that a trust is more important than for people who do have great wealth, because after death, the revocable living trust will avoid probate court involvement, which will save your beneficiaries time and cost and frustration with the process of probate court. I think it's really important to note, too, that when we're talking to clients about doing estate planning, I really look at estate planning as the gift you give to your beneficiaries and the people who are left behind because they're the ones that have to really organize your estate. They're the ones that have to really pull it all together and distribute it. And a revocable living trust simplifies the whole process. And so I also own a home in um, Florida and my trust crosses those barriers of lines. And so it really simplifies it for my children. I will not have to have a probate in Wisconsin and a probate in Florida. Right. I, I think that's a really good point. If you have homes in more than one state, a trust can be really important. As you mentioned, if you have a home here, you die a resident of Wisconsin, and you have a home in Florida or Arizona, somewhere else warm, um, that that piece of real estate in the other jurisdiction would have to go through probate court there to get to your beneficiaries. So instead of having that happen, we have your trust own that property during your lifetime so that at the time of your death, it passes to your beneficiaries under the terms of the trust without probate court involvement. I think another piece that's really important is the whole privacy thing. A lot of people are very private, particularly about their money and who they want to distribute assets to or what their net worth is. And a trust will give an, an amount, a certain amount of uh, privacy to that. That's correct. A, a will, many people don't know that probate court is a really public process. 
when somebody dies and they have a will, we we file the will with the register and probate. And then part of the, the process of probate is providing certain information. We provide beneficiaries' names through the will. We show who your heirs are under law. And we also publish the amount of assets in your estate. We actually inventory your estate. And that is a public record in Wisconsin. So you can get online and look up the value of a probate estate through the Wisconsin court system at any time. So a trust keeping the estate out of probate court doesn't mandate then that we publish information about the trust. It's a private it's a private document that really the terms of which just continue after the death of an individual. So there's no trigger for a court to be involved. There's no need to publish anything. One of the pieces that I really like about the Revocable Living Trust is the ability to have a lifetime asset protection trust underneath that. So for anyone who has a child with disabilities or has an issue that they want to um, protect someone, um, there are many different types of trusts that you can have under the Revocable Living Trust. But one of the ones that we utilize a lot, almost every one of our clients, is the Lifetime Asset Protection Trust. And so for me, a very simple way of understanding it is is that when I pass away, I want my assets to go to, I've got some going to charity, and then I've got three children, and they go to my three children, and then I want them to go to my grandchildren. And so I love my grand, my daughter-in-law, and I love my son-in-law. Um, Julie says sometimes I love my son-in-law more than her. But if something happens to me, I have said to my children, you protect your children. You protect your spouses because I want my money to go to my grandchildren. And so they've gotten insurance and they've done that. So when I die, the money goes to my children. And and then down to my grandchildren. And so I think a lot of people feel that. And when you put the money into the trust, then you can go into detail about that bill, the Lifetime Asset Protection Trust. It really does protect them in the event of a, a bankruptcy, in the event of a divorce, in the event of a terrible car accident or some kind of a, a legal threat. It really segregates that money once you die because it's really not your children's money it's your money that they've inherited. They become beneficiaries of that, which I think is just, um, and, and it's true. A lot of people did that at the m Bank that were very wealthy. They set up these trusts, but there's no reason that we can't protect our children with regardless of what amount of assets we have if we want to protect those assets. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. Wealth is a, a relative term. If you work your whole life to acquire assets, they're, those assets are probably pretty important to you. So leaving the assets to your children, you can, you can leave assets to your beneficiaries in a number of ways. You could leave it outright, where they take full control and ownership of the assets. And there it goes in their social security number. Correct. So it's their asset, and they own it, and it's generally not protected from the claims of creditors. It's looked at as an asset in the event of, of divorce. Not We may be able to segregate it from marital assets, but it, it muddies the waters. With a lifetime asset protection trust, we can protect what you leave to your beneficiaries for their lifetimes and really for the lifetime of their kids, your grandkids, and so on down the line. 
Well, and I like it because you can also, if you inherit money, you can put it into a specific trust to keep that because inherited assets are not considered marital property. And a really easy way of giving you an indication of how this might or could work, I pass away, my money goes down to my three children, and one of my kids say, I want to pay off my house, which is a good idea. So they go and they pay off their house, and five or ten years down the road, they get divorced, and now they lose their half of the marital property, which is their inheritance that they paid off the house with. Whereas if we could put that money into the um, lifetime credit protection trust, we could take a note from the trust to buy the house. And if they got divorced, they could pay off the note. Yeah, that's correct. We In a situation like that- And they that, wouldn't split it. The trust would make a loan yes. to the beneficiary and mm-hmm. maybe to the spouse, and we'd secure the loan with a mortgage against the property they're buying. So that when the property is ultimately sold, the trust gets paid back, whether it's a sale as a result of a divorce or otherwise. Otherwise. My guest today is Bill Line, and he is an attorney, and we work um, a lot with Bill with our clients. And uh, I think, Bill, when we get back, let's talk. We just talked a little bit about beneficiaries. Let's talk about beneficiary designations and then the powers of attorney for health care and finances. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you are listening to our show today, um, I would really invite you, if you're having questions about your own documents, if you're curious about the estate planning and the revocable living trust, if you haven't read your documents in a while, give us a call and come in and see us. We just, Bill and I actually just sat down with a client recently, reviewed documents and there were so many mistakes in that document, and uh, it was really it was really sad because if something had happened to her at that point, nothing would have been the way she wanted it. And we were so nervous about it. If you remember, we did it within like five days, yeah, we just to be certain that. because it was so wrong. And so a lot of times, people the documents are old. You don't read them. The tax laws and laws of change, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But if you haven't looked at your documents, if you're curious about what we're talking about, give me a call at 262-691-3200. My guest today is Bill Line. He is an attorney. He was the Line Law Firm, and he is at 500 West Silver Spring Drive, and he comes to our Pewaukee office and also to our Whitefish Bay office, and we really do sit down and we determine what you want and if what you want is what you have. And then sometimes you have to make major changes, and sometimes it's just a little bit of tweaks. You know, Bill, before we took the break, we were talking about beneficiary designations. And I, I think before we jump on that, let's if somebody is saying, okay, irrevocable trust, how do you do that? I mean, we work together as a team, and we gather all of the information as to the house, what houses, what property they have, their businesses, um, deter- helping them to determine how they want to divide up their property. It's it's really almost the exact same things that you do when you do a will. It's you know you're getting the same information. You are, it, but it's a little it's a little more involved in that we're trying to structure we're trying to structure. Uh, a legal entity, a revocable living trust that you live under during your lifetime. And how we how we do that is we put your property in the name of the trust generally. That's the best way to ensure that at the time of your death, your property will pass to your beneficiaries without court involvement. And that's a really big goal 
in in estate planning today. So avoiding court is important. Titling assets to the name of the trust or naming the trust a beneficiary under beneficiary designation forms is another way we accomplish probate avoidance. If we don't do that, if if we don't get property into the name of the trust, you could still end up having probate court involvement. So we're very careful working with you, Karen. It's you, You're very good about it. We really focus on after we have a revocable trust in place, we've drafted the document, signed everything. Then we do our homework and make sure that we get property titled in the appropriate manner so that if something happens to a client, we won't have court involvement, we'll retain privacy, and the plan will, will go off as intended. I think one of the most difficult things of doing the estate plan and, and developing the trust or a will would is sitting down with the client and helping them to figure out what they really want and how they want to pass assets. And so there are a couple things that we can talk about. It's often, it is always very hard when you're talking with a couple who have children because no one can raise your children as well as you do. But if you think about the fact that if you don't have a will or you haven't named it, the court's going to name it. That's that's correct. And you don't know who. they will. Sometimes they go with the loudest squeaky wheel, and they always try to do their best to determine where that child should be. But you having giving that insight is is really i think very important and sometimes parents just they just struggle over who will take the children if there is and i can tell you last year i was involved with um two different families where husband and wives were killed in a car accident and the children were left behind so unfortunately it does happen it does and under a will you'd you'd name <clears throat> guardians to act in the event you and your spouse were unable to, to take care of your kids, you have minor children. The, the trust would control the assets and make distributions for the benefit of those minor kids. So the trustee of your trust after you're gone would be empowered to provide funds to uh, take care of the children's health, education, maintenance, support, all of the things that they'll need in life to move forward. And Without without their parents, it's going to be hard, but without without the proper plan in place, it could make things a lot worse. And a lot of times, and we'll talk about beneficiaries a little later, but a lot of times people will have life insurance and they'll have a trust and they don't put the life insurance in the name of the trust and that money goes outright to the kids at age 18. And so when we talk about, and Bill, you said it's a nice compliment that we really work hard to get all of the trust and get it funded and get it right. It's really vitally important to make the process work. And so often things fall out and they, they don't get into um, they don't get into the trust. The other thing that's hard for parents is to, well, who should be the trustee? So now you've got who should take care of my children. Then there's who should take care of the money. And sometimes it's the same person. And then sometimes you name one person to do the money and one person to do the children. But again, you want to have people that can work together. Absolutely. In the best interest of the children and in, in what you would want. Yeah, and I think, I think you could have somebody named as a guardian to take care of, of your kids if you were unable to. Um, and they may not be the right person or persons to control money. They might be great ethical people, but maybe they don't have 
financial wherewithal. So you might name a different person or financial institution to control the money for the benefit of the, the minor kids. There are a lot of different ways we can, we can structure those plans. And I'd, I'd mentioned too, Karen, I think the biggest part of what I do and what you do is provide guidance and ideas to clients. Drafting legal documents isn't really that difficult, in my opinion. But having the right ideas, coming up with solutions for tough questions or family issues, it takes experience, and you, you have to be able to recognize problems, talk to the clients, and get the right answers for them. You do the same thing advising on f financial matters. You have to really ask the hard questions and you have to and be intuitive and have the relationship. You know, Bill, we just put up big billboards and they say transparency equals trust. And every time I do a billboard, I want to make sure that people think greater than just my company. So working with an attorney that is very transparent and is going to work with you and develop the types of documents, working with the right advisors and right insurance people and everyone, the doctors, the physicians, you know, that whole thing. People are afraid when they when they feel that something isn't out front. And so the whole thing of transparency, and that's really what we want to do. We want to give everyone as many options as we possibly can. And once you decide who you want to take care of your children, who you want to take care of the money, then you have to decide how you want to pass that money onto your children. And we have so many different options. Some people say they could just have it outright. Um, and then we talk about the trust. Well, we really don't want to give it outright because we want it to stay in that trust to provide the protection. But your children can still have access to that money. And so it's, you know, it's just like, well, they're old enough, they can have it. And then it's like, well, you just said you wanted to keep it and protect it. And so it, it takes some talking and it, it takes some explaining so that you really can understand it. So that it doesn't go flying over somebody's head and you've got a document that someone's drafted for you that's what they want, not necessarily what you want. And Bill, you and I talk about the passing on of the finances a lot. And one of the things I like to do and we've implemented is if something does happen and your children are younger maybe they're in their 20s or even their 30s, we often let them be a co-trustee for a period of time so that they learn about money. You know, so that so that they just don't get a big pot of money and they don't know what to do with it. But having a co-trustee that can say, oh, you're doing great, and walk away or say, you know, maybe I should hang around a little bit longer so you can bounce ideas off of me. Right, and modern trust law, Wisconsin trust law is very favorable to putting in place lifetime trusts and be happy to discuss that with you That's, more. And, and all of these things, we're just hoping to put out there some little flags for you to say, oh, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to talk about that one. And again, um, this is such a big part of Ellen Becker Investment Group to start with a solid plan, um, estate plan. It's where everything grows from. And my guest today is Attorney Bill Line, and we will be right back. Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder 
and Senior Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is Bill Line, and he is uh, an attorney, and he has his own law firm, Line Law Firm, and he is located on 500 West Silver Spring Drive in Glendale, and his phone number is 414-847-6290. And one of the wonderful things about working with Bill, and it, it really does take me back to when I was um, working at the brokerage firm, the last brokerage firm I was at, and I remember coming out of the M&I and then going into the back into the brokerage firm, and I wanted to sit down with attorneys because that's what we did there. The attorney came into the bank, and we sat down, and I remember my boss saying, you can't do that. Give him a card. You can't take your time to sit in an hour estate planning meeting. And so I did. I passed out cards, and my clients would come back in, and I'd say, did you go see the attorney? And they'd go, oh, and I knew it wasn't working. And so from thenceforth, I would make appointments and sit in those meetings, and it drove my boss crazy, um, which is one of the reasons I started my own company. And we sit down with every single client, and, and it's unusual for a um, – an advisory firm to do that because you have to remember that when we're sitting down with that client and bill, it's usually an hour and a half, two meetings, maybe an hour and a half to do it, an hour, maybe an hour to sign it. And there's such two and a half. I mean, that is just time that we're giving to the client, first of all, to get to know the client better, but to ensure that everything that's being done, we understand so that we can follow through with it. So a lot of people don't want to give, give that time. I mean, they don't want to invest that time. And for me, it's the best investment that I can make because once I really understand what's important to our clients, then I can help make an investment strategy. That makes sense. I, I, I view things the same way. I think it's about a relationship and not just a transaction. So when I get to, when I get to know clients in an initial meeting, I've, I view it as that. It's really good information. When I meet with your clients, you've already known them a little bit and you have a lot of good information. So when we sit down as a group, I think the, the ideas that we come up with in those meetings are really good. They work better. We all get to know each other. There's confidence on the part of the clients that they're getting what they need and that we're providing them the information they need and that we're not just going to hand them documents or you're not just going to sell them a financial vehicle and we'll be on our way. It's, it's a long-term relationship. And we make sure that everything that you have put into those documents, that we take it to the next level to make sure that it it is drafted. It, it's We do the beneficiary designations and the titling of the property exactly the right way. So, for example, on that Lifetime Credit Protection Trust, the way you might have your document as a husband and wife um, may have, um, let's say, for example, in their IRA, each other as primary beneficiaries. But on the contingent beneficiary, we put the name of the child's trust. But you can't do it unless it's drafted properly in the document. Yeah, that's correct. So a trust, it's a great example of proper drafting and doing all the housekeeping you need to do after the documents are in place. The The wrong kind of trust receiving a, a retirement account could be a tax disaster. Yes. So we have to be very careful to have the right terms within the revocable trust to accommodate retirement accounts after the death of the owner so that the the children can receive the assets and take distributions from the requirement uh, from the retirement account over their their life expectancies yes. rather than a shorter uh, legally prescribed 
time period that accelerates taxation. And beneficiaries and, and beneficiary um, designations and things changed from the point of view that several years ago the law was changed, where um, if your if your IRA is passed to your wife, it gets protection, which is also credit protection. It used to be you could pass it to your children with credit protection, and that's gone. Yeah. So the only way to protect those IRAs with credit protection is to actually have it go from the IRA to the credit protection trust in an IRA still, but under the umbrella of the IRA, of the trust. Right. So we, we draft into each of the children's trusts a retirement benefits trust as well. There are terms that complement the trust for each child. It's fairly technical drafting, and uh, you before you name a trust beneficiary of an IRA, you need to have that trust looked at to make sure that you're not triggering a, a really bad tax consequence. Yes. Beneficiaries. Oh, my goodness. I think that's one of the things that is most often overlooked, particularly on life insurance and people. A lot of people don't realize that if you have a beneficiary designated, so it could be a transfer and death account, it could be a joint, um, it would be the joint account at the bank, it could be um, on your life insurance, um, a, a beneficiary, that goes outside of the trust or any will. That's correct. And that can be a really crazy mess. And that's more of the housekeeping I'm talking about after the, after the plan is in place to make sure that we're... We're getting things to the trust so that the trust terms control the distribution in the way you intend, rather than the asset passing outside of the trust in the way that the possibly the, the life insurance company has designed it to be transferred. So it, having, having the housekeeping done where we get assets properly placed and coordinated with the trust is, is imperative. And if you do have inheritances, imperative to understand the difference between commingling and keeping it separate. If you um, domestic partners, um, if you have issues with any children that might have any disabilities, where you worry about money getting getting to them that could take them off of SSI or something. I mean, these are all there's wonderful planning tools, but it really starts with a conversation. It does, and I, I think those are tough questions <clears throat> to ask sometimes. If a, if a child or grandchild has a special need, it can be a tough conversation, but you have to have it in order to produce the right, the right fit for the client. Lastly, on the trust, we'll talk about, just for a, mo- a moment here, because our time is flying by, pet trust. Oh, pet trust, yeah. <laughs> We've been doing a lot of those yeah, lately. They've become pretty common. So in years past, we, you couldn't legally have a trust for a pet set up. Now, under Wisconsin law, the last few years, we've been able to set up a trust where you can name your living pets. So if you have a pet alive at the time of your death, that pet can be taken care of. You can leave money in trust. The trustee would make distributions to a named custodian for the pet. And uh, yeah, they're very common. They're very common. And as as the population is aging, and you think about 10,000 people a day turning 70 and a half for the next about eight years now, there's a lot of people. And as people age and they're alone, they have pets. Absolutely. And, and so pets have become one of the things that um, people worry about most. 
um, when they're alone and what would happen. Bill, my my friend today, my friend, Thank you, <laughs> of course you're my friend, and uh, my guest today is Bill Bill Line, and he is an attorney and he works uh, very much with our clients and has really put forth a great effort into spending a lot of time making sure that those documents are really drafted exactly the way our clients want them. You can give us a call at the office. Um, Bill, we sit down at either Pewaukee or at our Whitefish Bay office. Generally takes about an hour, hour and a half to kind of get things together. We we get things also, pull things together. We work together to really make this um, an, easy, an easy type of a um, transition from not having documents to having documents and I think sometimes people are overwhelmed but it we really do try to make it very simple and they're telling me we got to go we got to go so we'll be back and we're going to talk about um, the powers of attorney for health care and for finances welcome to money sense and Karen Ellen Becker my guest today is Bill Line and um, we never have enough time I we just never have enough time to I'm so passionate about making sure that this is the first piece that people look at. And one of the things coming up right now that's so important is all these kids that are looking at colleges. One of the things that most people don't realize is that once a child turns 18, as parents, we lose the right to make decisions for them. So an important thing that we make sure all of our clients, we have their birth dates of their kids and a little flag comes up and says, we got to get a power of attorney for health care for this child who's 18. I have a son who's 40 some years old, who's not married, and I have a power of attorney. And I remember when I talked to my mother and dad, probably about 25 years ago, and I said, Mom, you need a power of attorney for health care and finances for dad, both of you. And she said, why? I can do anything I want with them. <laughs> and I said, not legally, you can't. So quickly, just talk about the power of attorney for health care first. Sure. And, and normally what we use in in our estate planning process is a form power of attorney document. It's a statutory document under Wisconsin law where you name an agent to implement your wishes for you if you're incapacitated. So you're right. If if you don't name somebody to be your agent under a power of attorney and you become incapacitated and decisions have to be made about whether you're, you have to go to a nursing home or end-of-life decisions have to be made, the only way that can be done without a proper power of attorney for health care document is to have a guardian appointed. And so somebody, a loved one generally has to go to court. Again, it's the probate court, but uh, somebody's going while you're alive in this case and they get named your your guardian. And it's costly. It is costly. And it's... it's it costs legal. more to do that than it does to put a trust in place. Oh, absolutely. And documents. Yeah. And well, it's also just there's a, an emotional toll. Yes. That it's it's a hard thing to do when somebody's in the hospital. They have to go to the court and get approval to make decisions for them. It's very tough. So we recommend powers of attorney for health care and for finances for every client. Every single person needs absolutely. that. And if you've got a, a child going off to school, make sure that you get a power of attorney for health care um, they don't need one for finances generally because they're using your money. 
<laughs> but they definitely need one for health care. And I really wish that schools would put that right next to have a microwave. And have, yeah, it should be a check-in It should item, be a check-in really. item for kids to have that. Yeah. And um, so that is something that people can get online. I suggest that you do it with your attorney to make sure that it's just right and have the child understand it. And, yeah, and when that's we work usually with, throw in documents for us. Yeah, exactly. When we yeah. work with your clients, those are done as a courtesy to the client, yeah. put documents in place for their kids. Usually we'll do the healthcare power of attorney, a HIPAA medical release, a privacy uh, release. So if you have a child that gets sick away at college or is in Capacitated falls or gets hurt, you can't really make those decisions. You, you can't. So that's a really um, that's a really important document. And on that document, you generally pick one person, and then you can pick another. But there's one person making the decision. Correct. Yeah, we're only allowed to have one healthcare agent for a healthcare power of attorney document. Financial powers of attorney, we can name more than one person. You have you can have co-agents yeah. in a financial setting, but not in the not in the healthcare setting. So a, 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 a adult child name a mom or a dad or whoever is the one that they would do. The power of attorney for finances, also a very important document. It, it is. It's, there are two components to a guardianship. One is guardian of the person and the other is guardian of the estate. The healthcare power of attorney is addressing, eliminating the need for a guardian of the person and the financial power of attorney is eliminating the need for a guardian of the estate. So having both of those documents in place, you avoid guardianship proceedings. Financial power of attorney is really a generally a broad power where you're saying, I name these people to make decisions for me on financial matters if I'm incapacitated. When we get older, it's, I think, really important to have those, even if you're, if you're temporarily incapacitated. And maybe, for instance, you have to have a distribution done from a retirement account to avoid a a penalty. So an agent under a power of attorney could could order the distribution from a retirement account, make application for a financial disability benefit. Those are the kinds cash of cash checks. Cash checks. Cash checks Absolutely. that are coming in pay and your bills. pay your bills. And so we often think of these documents only for people who um, are older. Um, and it's true. And if you have parents that you haven't looked at their documents in a while, you want to make sure that those documents are at least haven't been done in five years because all of the institutions are really getting picky on those documents. But also if you're younger, you get in a car accident and you're incapacitated, which so so many times think, or you're skiing or anything happens. Accidents happen. Accidents happen. Regardless of your age, it's important to have that. The last thing, um, Bill, that we wanted to, I wanted to just mention too, and I did earlier is um, that um, if you're getting remarried, um, you wanna you wanna take a look at those document. You wanna take a look at your documents and decide if you need a marital property agreement and look at things like that. You also um, there's other things as we talked about. Um, if you have children that have special needs or special things that can be done there. If you want to do gifting, um, if you want to set up a trust for um, a charitable trust, we do a lot of charitable trusts. Um, what are some of the other things? Well, you, you Life insurance, beneficiaries, all of those things are really important. A lot of what we do with trusts is uh, try to eliminate taxes, try to yes. maximize tax efficiencies for beneficiaries. So trusts take on a lot of different, a lot of different forms. 
And I know in a couple of weeks you're getting together with one of our clients with the whole family to go over the documents and explain. You know, again, when we say transparency is trust, so often when um, people age, they don't want to share where they are with their docu- with with their children. You don't have to tell them how much money you have, but you may want to just tell them what the responsibilities will be if you, what you want, what your wishes are. Um, You can sit down and go over everything and share everything. I find that particularly in second marriages, children worry about well, what's happening to my mom's estate? What's happening to my dad's estate? And who's going to get the money? And, you know, if you sit down and have a family meeting, and we do it all the time, and we uh, two people coming together, getting married a little bit later in life, and we meet and we tell the kids, this is what this is how it's going to happen. They're buying a house together, and they're going to do this. Or, I mean, it just relieves so much tension. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it, the more the more your family knows, probably the better. Um, I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal this morning that said somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of of people say they will not share their their financial statement with their children, which is it's interesting. But yeah. you, you don't necessarily have to share that, but it would be good for them to know what the plan what is. the plan is. My guest today is attorney Bill Line, and he is at 500 West Silver Spring Drive in Glendale, 414-847-6290. We have his number at the office. If any of this has been interesting, please give us a call at 262-691-3200. We will review your documents and make sure everything is right. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your um in your life, and I'm sitting here and I'm going, oh my goodness, I screwed up my closing. I can't believe that. <laughs> but anyways, I hope I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always, always listen. Have a great weekend. Your EIG Wealth Advisor can help you control risk, make sure your estate plan is in order, and help you understand your financial plan during retirement. But we can't control one of the largest drains on your portfolio during retirement. That's your health. For that, we'd like to share expert cooking tips and health wisdom from a local expert, Chef Michael Becker. So stay tuned. Hello, my friend. This is your personal chef, Michael Becker, and welcome to Food Sense. In the past two weeks, we have been talking about various techniques that would make your life easier or introduce a new technique to you that you may not be familiar with. I received an email the other day, and it was all about caramelization. This is the way the email went. Chef, you constantly talk about layering flavors, and in your conversation, you focus on a word called caramelization. I can kind of understand what it means, but can you go into details for me? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about caramelization, a huge, huge way of making intense flavors and using the natural sugars within an ingredient to create those layers of sweetness and nuttiness for yourself. A very simple ingredient that you constantly hear about in all menus, caramelized onion. Let's walk through that, shall we? We slice the onion as thin as possible, not too thin that it doesn't have that much texture, of course. And through the introduction to heat, we allow the pores of the onion to open up and release its water content. 
while it water con- while the water content is released, that water content is going to turn into steam. That steam is going to help the onion release more water and cook through. But something magical is going to happen. That water is turning into steam, as I said. It's going to evaporate. But the natural sugar content in the onion is not. So what is going to happen to it? It's going to hit the surface of the pan once the water is completely gone and it's going to turn into caramel. You all love caramel. We love the candy called caramel, don't we? Because it is an intense, nutty flavor that you cannot achieve with anything else. Another ingredient that does that for you is carrots. There is a reason all meat sauces that are amazing and memorable, like my own that I love to death at the restaurant, uses carrots, onion, and celery. Again, a classic mirepoix or blend of vegetables. The carrot has a lot of sugar. The only vegetable that has more sugar content than carrots are sugar beets. So remember, carrots are a huge source of sweetness, but you got to cook that sugar content. Otherwise, the raw sugar content of carrot is very is not very pleasing. So I want you to try to caramelize them. If you want to achieve the caramelization process much faster than the amount of time that you and I usually take in caramelizing onion, then chop them much smaller. The smaller the surface cut of an ingredient, the faster it would release its water and the faster it would caramelize. We talked about onions. We talked about carrots. Now, something that is important for all of you to remember. Just because an ingredient doesn't taste sweet doesn't mean it doesn't have sugar and it will not caramelize. Oh, yes, it will. You will see sometimes you put cauliflower or you put, for example, Brussels sprouts in a pan with a little bit of bacon fat and it starts browning on you. That is what some caramelization going on. Until next week that we talk about another technique of cooking, I hope you use this caramelization technique. And remember, to caramelize, you need to be patient. Cook with love. Infuse your ingredients with love. You will have nothing but love to taste. That I assure you. I love you dearly. Think about me. And I'm always there for you as your personal chef via email, via a phone call to the restaurant, or just through ellenbecker.com or my own website. Talk to you next week. If you would like more of Chef Becker's recipes and food tips, go to ellenbecker.com and click under the resource tab.